Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. That's 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to make things better. Hi there. Welcome to today's program. As always, these are your 45 minutes. So if you're working with a child at home who's not responding very well to Plan B or having trouble with any aspect of doing Plan B or running into trouble getting the folks at school to use collaborative problem solving or having difficulty getting your co-parent or the grandparents or the hockey coaches to buy in, this is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem solving approach. I want to give you that uh, call in number again because I've learned that I um, got it confused with another call in number on our inaugural program last week. The call in number is 347 994 2981. That's 347 994 2981. If you're a little hesitant to call in, you can always send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. Last week was our uh, first uh, collaborative problem solving for at home program. And what I covered was um, how challenging kids come to be challenging. Spent a lot of time talking about those lagging skills that make challenging kids vulnerable to challenging behavior. It's lagging skills that make challenging kids more vulnerable. If they had the skills, they wouldn't be challenging. And last week's program, you learned that those skills fit into a few specific categories, executive skills, language processing or communication skills, um, emotional regulation skills, cognitive flexibility skills, social skills, few other things challenging kids aren't so good at, the very general domains of flexibility, adaptability, frustration tolerance, problem solving. Boy, if they had those skills, um, we wouldn't be talking about them. They wouldn't be challenging, but they're lacking those skills. And so their response to life's frustrations, uh, much more over the top than other kids, Last program, I also talked about what challenging kids do when the demands being placed upon them exceed the skills that they have to respond adaptively. You know, there's the easy end of the spectrum of looking bad, as I've come to call it. There's whining, pouting, sulking, withdrawing, getting quiet. But then things tend to get a little bit more interesting from there, crying, um, screaming, swearing, Biting, kicking, hitting, spitting, destroying, throwing, you know. The interesting thing is none of that gives you any information 
just what the kid's doing. None of it gives you any... Oh, I'm not saying it's not hard. It's very hard, and it can be rather overwhelming. Um, as I've heard from a mom recently living with a challenging child I'm reading from her email here is, is an incredibly isolating experience. We, we wish these kids came with instructions. We parents are the ones who are breathing, sleeping, and eating with the kid. The child is always present and permeates the family even when the kid is not physically there. I've always said... Uh, you know, having a challenging kid in a classroom is really, really hard. Having a challenge, but at least if he's in a classroom, he gets to move on to somebody else next year. Got a challenging kid in your household. He's not moving on next year. You still got him. So we covered why challenging kids are challenging last week uh, with a particular emphasis on identifying these specific conditions or situations in which challenging kids are challenging. And now you know those are conditions or situations in which the demands being placed upon a kid exceeded his capacity to respond adaptively. If he could respond adaptively, he would. If he can't, if he's lacking the skills, then he's going to respond maladaptively. The goal is to identify those situations in very specific terms and then start solving problems. And what I thought we would do this week, th this is going to be the only week in which um, I'll be taking phone calls, and we already have two people waiting, a little bit later in the program, because there's a little bit of material that I want to get through here in this very early part of the program, because I just want to talk a little bit, and I'll try to keep myself to, let's say, 18 minutes, so that we have at least 20 minutes left for questions or comments. Um, so I'm hoping that the two folks who are uh, waiting to get on, uh, just be patient for about 18 minutes. That's, that's my time limit here. Um, how do you solve those unsolved problems? Well, those of you who know the model well already know the answer. You've got three options that are called Plan A, Plan B, and Plan C. Plans A, B, and C are three options in response to unsolved problems. If you're solving a problem with a, any kid, challenging one in particular is where it becomes especially relevant, uh, basically you're either doing A or you're doing B or you're doing C. If it's not an unsolved problem, by the way, you don't need plan A, B, or C. Plans A, B, and C are for unsolved problems. It's not a solved problem. It's not an unsolved problem. You're good to go. You don't need a plan. Plan A, those of you familiar with the model know this already, Plan A is when you impose your will. It's unilateral problem solving. Um, now, many people were raised on unilateral problem solving, imposition of adult will, Plan A. And so many people, when they hear me not being so enthusiastic about Plan A, they have an interesting question. What's the downside to Plan A? The downside to Plan A well, it depends on whether you have a challenging kid or a not-so-challenging one. If you have a challenging kid, the ones we're talking about on this program, well, Plan A causes challenging behavior in challenging kids. What just happened? You just threw Plan A at a kid who doesn't have a Plan A brain. You just threw Plan A at a Plan A non-responder. 
Why is he a plan A non-responder? Because plan A, having will imposed upon you, something none of us is all that keen on, requires skills to handle will. Flexibility, adaptability, frustration tolerance, problem solving, and a bunch of others. If you throw plan A at a kid who doesn't have the skills to handle plan A well, You've just heightened the likelihood of him doing something on the spectrum of looking bad. If he's a screamer, he's going to scream. If he's a hitter, he's going to hit. Who gets more plan A thrown at them than any other type of kid? The challenging ones, the ones least equipped to handle it well. Yeah, that's a problem. That's not what they need from us. They already know who's the boss. They've already been taught hundreds of lessons. One more lesson isn't what they need. What do they need? For us to understand what skills they're lacking, what their unsolved problems are, and get busy solving them in a way that actually works and is durable. What's the downside to plan A in a regular old kid? You can get away with plan A with a regular old kid. He's got the skills to handle plan A well. He doesn't like it, but he's got the skills to handle it. Just don't lose sight of the fact, and this is more philosophical, of course. Don't lose sight of the fact that you're teaching a lot of lessons. If you're doing a lot of plan A on the might-makes-right principle, the problem with that is might doesn't make right, and we probably ought not be teaching our kids that it does. Plan C. Plan C is when you drop an unsolved problem, at least for now. You've said to yourself, I'm not even working on that one right now. Um, many people, they hear about Plan C and they think he means giving in. No, not true. Giving in is when you start with Plan A and end up capitulating because the kid made your life miserable. That's giving in. But when you, well, truth is, a lot of people think the C in Plan C stands for capitulating. It doesn't. Truth is, I should have called it Plan P. If I was going to go with the right letter, it would have been Plan P for prioritizing. Plan C is an act of prioritizing. It's us saying we got big fish unsolved problems and we got little fish unsolved problems. We're working on the big fish right now. The little fish, they're in plan C. We're not dealing with them right now because we can't solve every problem we've been having with this kid. All these problems that have piled up over time in one fell swoop, it's going to have to be one, two, three at a time. The rest, we're going to have to table for now so as to reduce the heat, clear the smoke, and help us and the kid be more available for the problems we've actually decided are high priorities. Well, that leads us to plan B. Plan B is when you're solving problems collaboratively. Plan B consists of three ingredients. Now, I've always referred to them as steps. These days, I've been a lot more oriented toward describing the ingredients of each step so as to clear up any confusion about what each step really involves. I've always called the three steps empathy, define the problem, and the invitation. But I'd rather talk about the ingredients of each step. The ingredient, and this is an interesting point of confusion for people, the empathy step is actually rather poorly named because empathy is actually not the main ingredient of the empathy step. Empathy is important. Um, I think challenging kids are very deserving of our empathy. It's just that that's not the main ingredient of the empathy step. The main ingredient 
is information gathering and understanding. Gathering information about and understanding the kid's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem. Whether that's teeth brushing or eating what you made for dinner or the amount of time he's spending in front of the screen or the difficulty he's having with homework, we need to understand as clearly as possible his concern or perspective on that unsolved problem. That's the empathy step. Understanding, gathering information. I'll come back to the empathy step in a minute. Next ingredient has always been called the define the problem step. The ingredient, this is where you're getting your concern or perspective on the table, assuming that this is adult-child collaborative problem solving. Your concern or perspective comes next. If you put your concern on the table first, then your kid thinks you're doing plan A and the conversation has ended and he's now doing something on the spectrum of looking bad. Your concern comes second. Third ingredient has always been called the invitation. The ingredient is brainstorming. Brainstorming solutions that will address the concerns of both parties, those concerns that we put a lot of hard work into getting on the table in those first two steps of Plan B. Brainstorming. Of course, boy, you know, it's easy to talk about three ingredients. You know, easy for me to talk about. Much harder to do. Each ingredient presents very important challenges that especially people new to collaborative problem solving struggle with. The good news is any new skill requires some time to get good at, and it's not that practice makes perfect because there's no such thing as perfect in collaborative problem solving, but practice does make people feel much better about what they're trying to do here with these three ingredients, um, much more confident, that they can actually pull it off. So let me go back through each of the three ingredients. Once again, I'm going to take about 10 more minutes here. And in other programs, we can spend much more time on each ingredient uh, individually. But a quick run through here. The empathy step usually begins, oh, one big thing that I mentioned in the last program, You want to be doing all of this proactively. That's why you made a list of unsolved problems. The the fact that you were able to make a list of unsolved problems, the, the fact that you were able to make a list of the situations or conditions in which your kid reliably and predictably runs into trouble suggests that those unsolved problems are highly predictable. The absolute last point in time at which you'd want to actually try to solve those highly predictable unsolved problems is right when you're in the thick of it again. Not good timing. There's added heat. The kid's hot. You may be hot. You may be in a rush. That's called emergency plan B, and it's not the best timing. It's there if you need it. But your preference, especially since the pile of unsolved problems that has accumulated over time is a pile of highly predictable unsolved problems. Your your preference is proactive plan B. Proactive plan B, the empathy step, starts with a neutral observation. Something like, I've noticed that. 
I've noticed that you haven't been too enthusiastic about taking your meds lately. What's up? I've noticed that you haven't been liking what I've been making for dinner lately. What's up? I've noticed we've been arguing a lot about how much time you've been in front of the screen lately. What's up? I've noticed homework's been a real struggle for us lately. What's up? I've noticed you haven't been too enthusiastic about going to school lately. What's up? All legitimate unsolved problems. And here's the important part. Well, there's a few important parts here. All unsolved problems that you would very much like to know much more about. I think we do want to know why a kid has been balking at going to school lately, why they've been balking at taking their meds. Um, we, we, we want to know, but we especially want to know because if we don't know, then we won't know what the kid's concern or perspective is, and therefore this problem won't get solved. Here's the interesting thing. After you've said what's up, which comes at the end of that neutral observation. I've noticed you haven't been too enthusiastic about taking your meds lately. What's up? One of three things is going to happen. The kid is going to say something, or he's going to say nothing, or he's going to say, I don't know. Now, I promise we will spend a good amount of time on I don't know in the next program. I promise, because I don't... Truth is, there's an excellent likelihood you're going to get I don't know or silence. But for our purposes today, we're going to assume that the kid said something. Whatever he said, it's unlikely that it gives you a clear sense of what his concern or perspective is. So now you're not done with the empathy step yet. You've, quite frankly, just begun now you've got the hardest part of the empathy step ahead of you, drilling, drilling for information, probing. Information in collaborative problem solving is like gold. Uh, people who've heard me speak, I often say that I'm an information hound. I'm always hungry for and sniffing out information about a kid's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem. Quite frankly, I'm an information hound when it comes to the adult's concern or perspective as well. That sometimes takes a little drilling on my part with the adults that I'm working with. We're drilling for information probably by focusing on the who, what, where, and when of the unsolved problem. Who, what, where, when. I've noticed we've been struggling over your homework lately. What's up? It's too hard. Not specific enough. We're going to have to drill a little. It's too hard. Um, let me ask a what question here. What part is too hard? It's too much. Ah, it's too much. I'm going to ask another what question here. What part is too much? All I'm doing here is drilling. Because if, if we run with too hard, we're going to get to that third ingredient of plan B and actually not have any idea of what problem we're trying to solve. Vague concerns lead to vague solutions. Let's keep drilling. 
it's too hard and too much. What, what part's too hard and too much? The science is too hard and too much. This is an actual plan B that took place with a kid that I was observing. Ah, the science is too hard and too much. What about the science is too hard and too much? I don't know. Many Now, rule number one, and I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time on I don't know next week, as I mentioned, but rule number one on I don't know is don't freak out. Let's hang in there. Bunch of reasons that a kid might say I don't know or not respond to our initial attempts at drilling. He, he may never have thought about this before. He may need some time to think. And we can always fall back on what I call educated guessing or hypothesis testing to try to figure it out. But let's let's assume for the time being that if we just give him a little more time, and there's a lot more to I don't know than that he's never thought about it before, but once again, I'm going to save that for next week. Let's keep going. It's okay. We're not in a rush. Think about it a little bit. I really don't know. Would it help if we thought about the uh, things you have for homework and try to figure out what's getting in your way? Okay. And then you could do some drilling on the specific homework assignments and what aspects of them were hard and hopefully get to the bottom of it. The goal is to get to the bottom of it. The goal of the empathy step is to have your aha moment, that moment at which you say, aha, I finally understand what the kid's concern or perspective is on this unsolved problem. And I'm going to give you some great examples, but this is more of an overview program today, so some great examples coming next week of what the unsolved problems were and then what drilling looked like to get at the concerns that were related to those unsolved problems. But I want to keep moving on here because I'm already seeing that I'm going to run late on my timeline. The next ingredient. By the way, you're not ready for the next ingredient until you've had your aha moment in the empathy step. Next, the define the problem step. This is where you're getting your concern or perspective on the table. A lot of people used to struggle with this. A lot of adults used to struggle with the define the problem step because they weren't sure what their concern or perspective is. I'm finding people having less trouble with that these days just because I'm maybe getting better at helping them know what their concern or perspective is. Adult concerns usually fit into one of two categories, believe it or not, sometimes both. How the behavior is affecting the kid, how the behavior is affecting other people. You'd want to be much more specific about that, but that's probably your concern probably fits into one of those two categories. Now we have two concerns on the table. Notice what we don't have on the table. Solutions. None. The pressure for adults to instantaneously think of solutions does not exist in collaborative problem solving. Nope, y'all are doing this together. If you don't do it together, if the solution is always yours, the kid won't learn how to do it. Plus, humans being human, 
our solutions until we get good at collaborative problem solving tend only to address our own concern, which means this problem definitely isn't solved because if the solution only addresses the concern of one party, well, it's not solved. The problem isn't solved if the solution only addresses the concern of one party. For a solution to be durable, it has to be mutually satisfactory. And that's what we're looking for in the invitation that you now know I wish I'd have called the brainstorming ingredient. What you're doing here is thinking about potential solutions, but solutions that will address the concerns of both parties. This is very hard to do. In other words, solutions that are mutually satisfactory. Also, solutions that are realistic, meaning that both parties can do what they're agreeing to. By the way, the define the problem step usually begins with the words, my concern is, or the thing is. The invitation starts with, I wonder if there's a way. What you're doing here is you are generically wondering if there's a way to address both concerns. But if you can, you want to be more specific than that by putting the two concerns of both parties, what you learned in the empathy step, what you learned about the kid's concern or perspective in the empathy step, and what you learned about the kid, your concern or perspective in the define the problem step, you want to put those back on the table. I wonder if there's a way for us to help you, for us to make it so that the writing paragraphs on your science homework doesn't take you so long, so to the point that you just throw in the towel and stop, get so frustrated that you stop. I don't think I like throwing in the towel. But still, that was the kid's concern, but still make sure you get practice at this. Oh, that's the adult's concern. So this isn't hard for you for the rest of your life. You got any ideas? That's right. You're giving the kid the first crack at the solution. Not because he's on the hook for solving the problem. Y'all are on the hook for solving the problem. Y'all are a team. This is not adversarial. This is not enemies. This is two people putting their heads together so as to solve a problem that has been setting in motion challenging behavior for a very long time. There's your ingredients. One last theme Um, the kid isn't the one who has to come up with the solution, but you aren't either. Once again, many adults feel great pressure to be what I call geniuses, to be the person who comes up with the instantaneous solution that solves the problem. You know, Let's give the kid some practice at thinking at the very least. You may have some ideas. I hope they're mutually satisfactory and realistic. Trying harder tends not to be a good solution could try harder, he would try harder. And last point before we uh, go on to some phone calls. Um, it's unlikely that the first solution is actually going to solve the problem durably. I think a, good, a, a first solution is a great place to start, but I could have just as easily called this incremental problem solving, progressive problem solving. I thought collaborative was the most important part, but often the first solution 
doesn't stand the test of time. Luckily, this is good real-life practice because in real life, the first solution often doesn't stand the test of time, often doesn't solve the problem durably. Good solutions often come after ones that didn't pan out so well. So you're going to run with your best shot at a first solution, but if it doesn't quite get the job done, back to plan B to figure out why. There's your basic ingredients. Once again, in future programs, we'll spend far more time on each ingredient. But let's take a call. We have a uh, caller standing by, and so if I can do this technology well. By the way, let me before I put the caller on, our call-in number is 347-994-2981. And once again, you can always uh, email by going to the Lives in the Balance website, www.livesinthebalance.org. Uh, and filling out the contact form and submitting a question that way. And as you'll notice, I get all kinds of questions during the week, and some of them make their way into the program as well. But we do have somebody who's been very patiently holding on. So uh, let's see if I've got the technology right here. You're on the air. Hello? Yep. Hi, Dr. Green. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, I don't know where to begin, but we've been um, attempting to do a collaborative problem solving for about a year now since uh, we uh, read your book, uh, The Explosive Child. And where it did help us is to uh, get us oriented around the idea that um, uh, my son, who's now seven, has flagging skills, because before that we were doing um, much more of the plan A approach. So that was incredibly helpful. Good. That got us on the right track. Um, I feel, then, a, butt. We've had I feel some, a butt coming. <laughs> yes. We've had some trouble with the, doing the Plan B, and, and your radio programs have helped us pinpoint just where we've made some mistakes. Um, I think early on we made the mistake of equating the empathy step with empathic listening rather than information gathering. So yes. Now that, now that we know that, that, that uh, our approach is um, starting to, to uh, take shape, and, and, and it's di different now. Um, so we're, we're just at the point where we're about to retry doing some plan Bs over um, some issues that have been um, a problem for quite some time. Um, Want to tell us what some of those are? Sure. Let's hear some of um, your the unsolved problems. Okay. The two big unsolved problems for my older son, and I have two children, one is seven and one is four. Okay. And they, uh, the older son is having um, problems um, getting up in the morning to go to school. Okay. Um, and he's also having trouble um, hitting his brother. So there's some sibling interactions that are, are not good. So let me, if it's okay with you, and I'm sure. not sure if this is, um, I mean, I'm happy to answer whatever question you had as well, but as long as we're on the topic, let me fine-tune those unsolved problems a little bit. I think waking up in the morning is a very specific unsolved problem. And I just want to make the point, in other words, specific enough for you to run, run with it. Um, of course, true to what I mentioned earlier in the program, you don't want to be um, trying to solve that problem as your son is having trouble waking up in the morning. That would be the worst possible timing. 
it's something you'd want to try to gather information on um, outside that moment at a much more optimal point in time. So that's an important point number one. Uh, point number two is I'm, I'm glad that um, it became clear that the empathy step was more for information gathering and understanding than it was for empathic listening. Um, there's a lot of empathic listening that goes on out there that doesn't give people the information they're looking for and doesn't help them clarify what the kid's concern or perspective is. So, great that you're there. The unsolved problem that I wanted to particularly home in on is hitting his brother. Because hitting his brother feels a bit um, global to me, a bit vague. I understand that hitting is a specific behavior. But I guess the important point is hitting his brother, I'm assuming, is, a, is occurring under certain conditions. And yes, those right. conditions would be your unsolved problems. Can you tell us a little bit about what, under what conditions the hitting occurs? Well, we, um, I had a chance to do kind of an emergency plan B with him yesterday. Okay. And what he said was um, when I was trying to drill down to, to listen and get more information, he said he hits, um, his brother makes demands of him. Um, he wants him to give him toys or sometimes his brother hits him and, and of course, that uh, precipitates the retaliation. Yep. But he doesn't have the, the ability to, he can't tell his brother to stop. That's, that was his concern. Like I think uh, he didn't know how to tell him to stop. Well, um, it sounds like we have two unsolved problems that you've mentioned that are specific. When his brother is making a demand of him, and when his brother is hitting him. Now, of course, this leads us in a direction that we're not going to go in quite yet today, but we'll talk about what to do when an unsolved problem involves two siblings in a later program. But let's, let's do plan B in this case, just because we have you on the phone with us as an example. Um, we have two unsolved problems related to hitting. So now I'm going to take hitting out of the mix, and I'm going to put two unsolved problems in, his, in, in its place. I've noticed, and this is the empathy step, proactively, I've noticed that... Um, when your brother makes demands of you, tells you what to do, that's hard for you. What's up? That's, that's one unsolved problem. Another unsolved problem. I've noticed that when your brother hits you, that's very frustrating. What's up? Now, many, many people might be thinking, well, geez, isn't it obvious? But my attitude is it's never obvious. Let's at least start fleshing this out a little bit. Go ahead. Okay, I think that would help. Um, he he did say that um, when we talked about it, that he would try to use his words more instead of hitting. Um, and this morning there was an incident where they were starting to heat up and they, they started to argue, but they, they didn't hit. And and so I, I think uh, your your point is, is right on. I, I, I understand what you're saying. And here's, here's the only thing I would caution. Right now, the um, onus for handling this unsolved problem well is on your seven-year-old son. What I want you to ask yes. yourself, people yeah. have been asking me these days, what should I be thinking as I'm doing Plan B? Well, what I think you should be thinking in the empathy step, I hope it's not presumptuous of me to be telling you what you should be thinking, but I think 
what you want to be thinking in the empathy step is, do I understand this unsolved problem as well as I need to? Does it all add up to me? What you're thinking in the define the problem ingredient is, um, have I articulated my concern in a way that makes sense to my kid? And now the point that I wanted to make about the solution that you all have come up with, what I'm thinking we ought to be thinking in the invitation where we're brainstorming is, is this mutually satisfactory? Does it work for you? Does it work for him? And it sounds like on that count, maybe so. But more importantly, can he do it? Is it realistic? Oh, I see. And now comes my my question. Is him just using his words when his brother's either hitting him or when his brother's making a demand of him, um, do you imagine, anticipate, that that will solve the problem durably? Well, by one perspective, no, we could really. say, we'll find out. But by another perspective, we could say, if we're in plan B, and we're already sitting there thinking to ourselves, I don't think this is going to do it, then one option, maybe the preferred one, is to say, um, I wonder if that's going to really solve the problem. And keep thinking. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I I, I think you're right. Um, I don't know how durable the solution will be. Um, and I don't know if that, that actually addresses my son's concern. I think that he, he has a... He, he really wants um, to not hurt his brother. He, he, he likes his brother. They, they do get along under other circumstances very well. And I think when, when he does hurt his brother, it legitimately bothers him. Yes. And, and, and that's, that's great. I mean, that says that um, I'm delighted that he doesn't hate his brother and that he is eager not to hurt him. I actually am wondering if we might... Get a, if it might be a good idea to flesh out your son's concerns a bit further. And here's what I mean. You know, I haven't obviously met your seven-year-old or your four-year-old, but if your four-year-old is like many four-year-olds, then even when somebody uses their words with him, that may not necessarily stop him. And so I'm wondering if we flesh out your seven-year-old's concerns a bit further, we might hear him saying something like, even when I use my words... He doesn't listen. Um, if I don't give him what he wants, the minute he asks for it, he starts crying, and then I get in trouble. So one thing I'm wondering about is whether it might make sense to spend a little bit more time drilling in the empathy step on these unsolved problems, and I'm actually anticipating that the information we get will have ramifications for what solution we ultimately arrive at. For example, I think. we've got our seven-year-old using his words, but if in the empathy step we heard that even when he uses his words, his brother doesn't listen, then we would have information that would lead us to a solution that might be more refined than simply using his words. And I think using his words is a great idea. I just don't know if it's going to work with your four-year-old. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. And but I think now, here's the, the problem. that's I very jumped, true. I jumped on some of the points that you were making early, Did but I don't know if you've asked the question that you wanted to ask when you first called in. Um, well, the question I had is, 
um, originally was to do with the uh, the language um, delayed language skills. In which um, how important in the the seven year old? Ah, um, well, that's a crucial piece of information. Yes. When we first started suspecting that um, it was more than just him not listening to our, uh, I guess, plan A demands, and there were lagging skills, we did a uh, psych ed assessment. Uh-huh. And what, what we found was very interesting. He, he has um, not necessarily delayed language skills, but in his psych ed assessment, one category, his perceptual reasoning was extremely high. And it was so high that um, relative to his other language skills, which were actually average or above average, the gap was hugely significant. Got it. Well, that could be extremely important, especially if we are hoping that he'll use his words as our solution, yes? Yes. We would definitely want to take that into account um, because... Is it safe to say that one theory on why he's not using his words is because the words are not coming to him? I, I think that would be accurate. Got he, it. He has a flood, a flood of information that comes in so quickly yep. that the words, he has trouble forming the words uh, quickly enough to keep up with his thinking. And to make matters, uh, I, I suppose, to make it more challenging, he's learning two languages. Uh-huh. And so he can do it in, in another language as well. And, and that probably slows him down a little bit as well. Well, and here's the cool thing about Plan B. It always gets more complicated the more information you get. The, the good news is, <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's um, simple problems often don't seem so simple anymore once you actually start drilling for information. And, you know, the more I hear about a kid, often the more sense it makes why he's having the trouble he's having. Um, not knowing your son at all, but uh, I can only talk generically about what we might do about this particular situation. Um, it, does, it sounds like he's got some bona fide uh, communication skill delays. It sounds like he's learning two languages. And boy, does this come true to form when, when I say challenging behavior occurs when the demands of the environment exceed a kid's capacity to respond adaptively. When he needs to come up with words quickly to respond to the demands being placed upon him by the environment, namely his four-year-old brother, he's at what we might call a loss for words. Now, one potential intervention, and I'm always hesitant here if I don't know a kid to be supremely specific, but what I've done with some other kids who fit a similar profile is taught them one or two, two maximum, specific phrases that they can use in the situations that they're having the most trouble with. Not knowing oh, exact, And so we don't want your son to sort of have pressure to come up with something super articulate come here or to wing it or to have to um, come up with something on the spur of the moment. I think that this is a predictable enough situation, a predictable enough unsolved problem for us to arm him. I don't really like the word, but I don't mind having... I don't mind having these arms. Uh, arm him with a phrase or two that are the words we'd want him to use in specific situations where he's at a loss for words with his brother. And 
we just can't think that he's going to start using those words immediately. They may not, it may not happen that fast. But I think if we stick with one or two phrases um, and help him use those words, you know how we often tell little kids to use their words? And, yes. of course, that advice is way too vague if we're not giving them the words that we'd like them to use. If you said to your seven-year-old son, don't forget to use your words, he'd still be, he'd still be up the creek. But if we give him these specific okay. words we'd like him to use, one or two phrases will be in better shape. Listen, here's the downside to doing one of these things. We only have 38 seconds left, so I have to cut our conversation off. Feel free to call in next week and let us know how your subsequent attempts at Plan B went. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you all for listening in today, whether you're listening live or to archives. Every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, this time's for you. I hope you'll join us next week.